Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, Hearst Magazine's digital media president Troy Young talks about Facebook's power in the media business, what Snapchat has to offer, and why Hearst is betting on a distributed content strategy. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Stephen Perlberg. I'm here with my colleague, Jack Marshall. How's it going, Jack? It's going excellent, Steve. That's great. Uh, so we are, as promised, here's another person that matters in the media and marketing space. Our guest today is the president of Hearst Magazine's Digital Media, a longtime media executive, all-around good guy, Troy Young. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. So uh, you are the president of, of Hearst Magazine's uh, Digital Media. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that role, just for our, our listeners, like what does that entail? How, how structurally is Hearst uh, set up now. It's obviously a big media company. Uh, owns magazines like Cosmo and Elle and Esquire. Um, so, w- what's your role, and and how does that uh, how does the digital operation sort of fit in? Well, I think it's a holistic digital business. Everything that is required to deliver a product and monetize a product. So, from edit to platform, you know, ad sales, audience development, the whole thing. One one thing that I think we did that was that was different is we decided to make sure there were kind of no impediments to the success of the digital business which i think for a lot of of print publications going through a transition um you know orthodoxies of old that made those magazines uh you know tr- you know great were getting in the way of our success digitally so what we did is we you know we we designed an organization to kind of move essentially with the r- rhythm of digital in all ways. So if you looked, at, I think, at our structure internally, it's no different than what you'd see at a Vox or at a BuzzFeed in terms of, you know, the architecture of the business. For the longest time, it feels like at magazine companies that it was sort of like, well, you know, we we make the print magazines and then we have these people who put it on the Internet, and that's sort of the structure. Right. Uh, I guess what you're saying is that you guys— I mean, guys, that was eons ago. So Eons ago. Yeah. So— you know, I guess now, how do you, how do you sort of, uh, you know, structure? Are you are you involved in conversations about sort of, you know, print versus digital, and 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 how do you sort of, you know, walk that walk that? Well, balance? I'm an executive in the, the, you know, the overall business. So there's a lot of, you know, I, I we look, you know, obviously at the success of our business holistically, but what we really want to succeed at is driving. You know, a future business uh, vision for the organization and, and a profitable digital business that will enable the entire enterprise to be, you know, bigger and, you know, and more profitable as as we go through this, this, this shift. I think that we have the luxury that in the categories that our magazines are in, most of them certainly, um, print is still really vital. You know, in in the fashion and beauty space, and in the home space, and others. So, you know, we still have successful businesses there, although there's pressure on them. And what we've been able to do is, in parallel, grow a very successful digital organization. So the entire thing has grown. And and you know, underneath of all of that, I think that we have. What I always argue is that the ingredients for modern media are actually very present in in, in magazines. And I think of it as two things. I think that we have. Um, incredibly powerful brands, and in, in a, you know, in 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 the kind of saturated world of the internet, uh, the lens of a brand proves to be incredibly important, as you guys know, in media. And 
and underneath of that, obviously, is is a well-honed sense of point of view in terms of how we create content and the voice we that we use. And so I think those things are really, really valuable. The other thing about magazine companies that people don't really – well, if, you're, if you haven't lived in them, you haven't sort of seen this firsthand. They're incredibly adaptable. So they are um, – you know, they – they change every month by virtue of a publishing cycle historically. So you have really adaptable commercial organizations that know how to find new ways to to kind of meet the needs of, of clients. We are fundamentally an organization that kind of really gets how to monetize media, right? And that's the biggest challenge. Like a lot of people can create content. It's much harder, particularly in a modern context, to figure out how to make money off yeah, of you it. You think you're sort of more adaptable than some of the, the digital competitors because the sort of perception I think a lot of people would have about magazines might, might be the opposite, which is these are 100-year-old institutions, right. and how, how can they change when you've got the BuzzFeeds and the Vox Medias of the world just being super fast and... I mean, you used the word I, commercially, I did say, which I did sort of implies that on the edit side, perhaps, to Stephen's point, right. they maybe right. haven't been as adaptable as... Right, except that our structural changes enabled us to be incredibly adaptive okay. uh, from a content perspective. So if you look at what we're doing, like um, the whole organization is re- designed around adaptability, and I'll give you a sense of what that means. So, you know, we do so. For example, five hundred, you know, five hundred. We develop five hundred or more pieces of content a week across our brands. Um, we publish uh, uh, against a sen- essentially a single platform. So, when I make changes or optimize a page on Cosmo, I can roll that out to twenty properties like in an hour. And uh, it's, you know, so we have sort of the benefit of scale, but but we operate incredibly nimbly. So if I see something like we're, ha- we're struggling with impressions or we need to change the way we deliver a piece of content or we need to, for example, respond to a partner like Facebook saying, do you want to participate in a Facebook live program with us? I can put 20 brands behind that instantly. Or if I'm working with a syndication partner like a Microsoft or others, I can... I can spin up feeds across across 20 brands to power that relationship really, really quickly. So I think there's real scale benefits of what we do, but we, we, we are insanely adaptive. That That is kind of the hallmark of what we do digitally. And I think that the Hearst overall is, is you know, is an adaptive enterprise. I mean, that's the, the history of the company. Remember, it was a collection of afternoon newspapers, and today it's, you know, a sort of multidimensional media conglomerate that has interest in everything from ESPN to healthcare companies. You mentioned Facebook. We definitely want to come, come back to sure. that. But, you know, what, I guess to your point, one of the, the things that Hearst, I, I suppose, m- more so than – many media companies has been kind of on the forefront of is uh, Snapchat. You guys have mm-hmm. uh, Discover Snapchat Discover page for Cosmopolitan, another uh, page called Sweet, mm-hmm. um, sort of lifestyle. Um, so I'm curious, you know, I know Joanna Cole's the editor of Cosmo. She's on the Snapchat board. Clearly you guys have a relationship with that company. Mm-hmm. How do you... Uh, you know, what is that relationship like, and how do you you know how successful have those channels been? What kind of viewers are you seeing on your on your Snapchat Discover pages? Uh, well, you know that Snapchat is is sort of famously you know quiet when it comes to PR. But I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a sense. I mean, I'm you don't have to be there. Yeah, but, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> delighted with with what we've seen there, and I remember the first time that 
uh, Evan came in, and it was Evan, myself, Steve Schwartz, the CEO of, of, of Hearst, and a couple of other people. And, you know, Evan came in and showed us a prototype of, of what Discover was going to be. And he said at the time, I'm going to... I'm going to revolutionize the way you deliver magazine content because I love magazines and I love the curatorial aspect of them, but I think that we need to figure out how to deliver that content better. And from the day that we saw that, we we jumped in first with Cosmo. And the Cosmo success early on, and, and we, we had I had put together a team very early on to say, let's make sure, and we do this in all cases, that we're creating content that works for the medium, right? So we, we I want to be a storyteller that thinks of the best way to tell a story and then, you know, utilizes the channels and mediums that we have in the way that best tell that story, whether that's Instagram, Pinterest, or Snapchat. Anyway, Cosmo worked incredibly well. And I think if you talk to anyone in the industry, you'll hear the same. And the numbers, you know, I mean, I'm talking like six million a day kind of work, like big, big numbers. Six million people. Units, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think. And that what, what about we, engagement? I mean, are those people that are just kind of flicking yeah, it's through? It's like or? six minutes. Okay, Seven so minutes. Real. It's real. It's the size of a, you know, a cable channel. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's enormous. And, um, and I think, you know, we have been among the most successful in there, and um, we're super committed to it. We continue to put more resources in it. Has that been a meaningful – it's early days, obviously, from a revenue perspective. But Listen, has that I, been big for you guys? It, it's, it's growing really, really well, and, and, and it has – and this is maybe a good segue to, to a couple of other things, but it has, it has in it the ingredients that I want in a partner. So – Obviously, we have embraced the idea of distributed media for a long time, and we think that, you know, listen, these brands like Cosmo is bigger than it ever, ever has been. If you look at it in terms of the number of people it touches every day with content that they love, like it's bigger than it ever has been. And so when I look at an environment like Snapchat, I want to see... Is there audience? Is there a place that we can create a beautiful curated package of content? And most importantly, does the team understand how to create an ad ecosystem? So that's what you want in terms. Just like a, it's like a cable system, right? Cable was brilliant, right? You could cable companies could set up programming. Consumers could find that content. Audiences could be aggregated. There was a subscription mechanism, and most importantly, there was a wicked ad model called a television ad. Now, in the case of Snapchat, I think what they've done really, really well is they, in some ways, resuscitated a magazine-like ad model, right, where you flip through. The, the original sin of advertising on the Internet, in my opinion, was that it sort of presupposed that a consumer would do two things at once, that you would look at an ad and you'd look at a piece of content. Now, the great thing about Snapchat is it's like it's, that's all there is. Now, they're part of the sort of pact that has happened with digital media, which is they don't make you watch it. If you opt into it, you can consume as much of it as you want, but you can flip through it. And I think that's right. So so to me, they, they have everything in there that I'm looking for. And as a result, the revenue is really encouraging. Like the, the, the numbers are, are, are really strong, particularly on a, a channel, the scale uh, of, of, of Cosmo that, that, that focuses in on a single audience. This might be a little bit in the weeds, just but in terms of Snapchat recently redesigned, so our podcast yeah. listeners can like flip over from whatever app they're using to listen to this podcast and go to their Snapchat app. And you'll see in the, on the Discover page, it used to be like little icons, you know, Cosmo, Sweet, and it was just said the brand name. And right. now it's a, it's a headline and an image, and it'll say Cosmo on it, but it's sort of the story right. focus. Right. Your argument, you know, is about obviously brands matter and, and you want people interacting with Cosmo right. uh, content. To what extent do Snapchat users know now that they're interacting or care that they're interacting with Cosmo content versus Daily Mail versus ESPN versus a lot of the 
you know the content that's out there on Snapchat and maybe this question kind of extends more broadly. Yeah, I mean, not it, just Snapchat. Not just Snapchat. It, it comes Facebook. up a lot with Facebook right. as well. Yeah. Well, it's why voice is so important, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, it's how you package content, and it's why, you know, your point of view and your voice is really important. Uh, when content isn't bound in an edition or a curated package like it, you know, was in, you know, in, 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 with a magazine, for example, it's, I think, even more important that you get voice right and that you stick to an idea. Um, I think that once you're in the edition, it's pretty clear that you're in – at least you go from a point of disaggregation to a point of aggregation. So still in the model, once you land in it, you know you're in it if, if, if you follow. Um, so so I, I, I do think that's an issue. But, you know, we, I think for all of media, the disaggregation across distribution points means – you know, you got to work harder to let people know that this is your brand. The the flip side of it is when 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 someone sees our brands inside of a Facebook feed, which is another distribution point. You know, I I think that what it does is it allows us to work with brands as a content marketing partner because we give their brands context. If it's hard for L or Cosmo or Esquire, imagine how hard it is for Tresemme. All right, speaking of non-intrusive advertising, we have to take a quick break, but we'll have more uh, with Troy Young after this. Hi, I'm Paul Vigna. If you do not subscribe to the Money Bee podcast, you are going to feel worse than a short seller on the day of a big rally. Go to iTunes and wsj.com slash podcasts. You want to sign up for this one. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. We're here with Troy Young, president of Hearst Magazine's Digital Media. Um, so, Troy, we were just touching on this briefly before the break, um, and this is something we speak about a lot on the podcast, obviously a very hot topic right now, but the idea of platform publishing, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, over the past couple of years has sort of really taken off and increasingly mm-hmm. publishers are relying on, you know, the Snapchats and the Facebook of the world to sort of access an audience ultimately. Right. Um so for you, I mean, is that is that worrying? Is that becoming more worrying? Or do you see these new channels as sort of an opportunity to reach new audiences? Or how do you think about that? Uh, I think it's great. But I, I um, you know, I've been open to it and adjusting to it for a long time. I mean, listen, the challenge with it is, is that the monetization models across different distribution points are uneven. And I think we're at a place now where you know, they, in some places, they've been slower to emerge. So a lot of publishers, for example, are very proud of the distribution on their video inside of, of Facebook. But when you really break it down, you're trading time inside of Facebook for links that you used to get back to well-understood monetizable pages on your website, right? So you got you got to embrace that thinking, you know, there's an ad model to come or we are full-on committed to, to native distribution of, of, of or to the distribution of native ad advertising in some shape or form. Now, again, in the in, in our world, how you blend a brand like Cosmo and a beauty advertiser is way more understood and easier to do than how you blend a brand with the Wall Street Journal and, you know, whomever else it is. I think it's harder in newsroom driven uh, you know, news organizations. So uh so you know, people the way, are sort of used to flipping through a magazine and kind of getting both th- at the same time. I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I think that service content in a magazine is very similar to what beauty brands are doing with service content to sell products. Is my point. Um, so I guess what I what I like about it is 
you know, I would say 80% of the, of the business that we do is related in some shape or form to the creation of content for advertisers. What social channels have given us is a distribution network that's bigger than we would have ever had. And as long as that's the case, I like it. And then what I like on top of it with a thing like Snapchat is they have a really easy to understand ad model. And with Facebook, you know, we're starting to see an ad model emerge in live, right, with interstitials, and I think that's promising. And and I think that, you know, at some point we have to really figure out what the ad model is going to be for Facebook video distribution. But to your point, I mean, those different ad models, it, it must be difficult as more of these platforms emerge and they all sort of take, require different expertise and I guess, you know, slightly different sales tactics and all of that stuff. I mean, is it unwieldy? I mean, it's not like you can go out into the market and just pitch one or two sort of coherent products because you've got all of these moving parts yeah. now. You know, I think it is difficult, and I'll, and I'll t- just put a little context on it. I think what's important is that – so we have a global business, and I have you know businesses in multiple countries that we're in the process of all putting onto a single platform. So the simplicity that I've talked about in how we execute our business and the nimbleness in the U.S. will happen around the world, which hasn't been the case historically in the magazine world. You would have separate companies in every market. Now, uh, you know, when when we we deal with a huge amount of you know, complexity to make our ad model work in the U.S. And now we have to take those ideas, which really are about people as much as they are about systems, right? The great thing about Facebook, which is what you talked about when we were just coming into the room, is that their ad model has scaled beautifully, right? Because it's a kind of machine-driven ad model. And I think that, you know, we would love to see that. You know, our business, for the most part today, is driven, say, 30% by machines, right, which is our programmatic business, and 70% by high-touch stuff that we really have to figure out how to make simpler over time. And, the, you know, the addition of, of multiple distribution environments makes it really complicated. But, you know, I didn't come into this business because it was easy. I did it because well, I like it. To what extent? I mean, we've talked about this on, on the podcast before, but it seems like because there's a good deal of anxiety over Facebook's importance, um, you know, for media companies, that there's this sense of, gee, man, really hope Snapchat takes off, or gosh, it'd be great if there was another platform. The idea that the more of these platforms that exist, if you're, if you're really going all in on distributed, the better, because you, you, you can't... Just right, listen, you're not going to hey, be over-reliant. Just put it in context. Media has always been about the intersection of content and distribution. And if you're a content creator, having multiple distribution environments is always a good thing. Sure. The hard part about Facebook, I just find personally, is like it's like the Facebook god. It's really for editors, I find it hard. Because it's like, you know, we used to be able to give fairly, you know, specific recommendations about how to do social. Right. Like that was a thing. And now nobody knows exactly how to master the algorithm because it's changing, because it's more sophisticated and because the whole market's become more sophisticated. So what I find interesting is like we, we have to pray to the Facebook gods and like open up a goat and spread the entrails over the table to figure out right. like what's the right way to construct a headline. And, did and that we changes do, week you know, to week. How many times should we post today? Should we post the same article twice? What if we repost something from another brand? All those things that like – are really the craft of mastering Facebook, I think, are extraordinarily hard on editors. Because sometimes, but even when you're making great search shit... Search as well, right? I mean... Search, search I find easier. Search, yeah. well... I mean, I guess it's more stable. It's, it feels like it's more stable. We're like five years into further into it. And to me, if, if you understand the mechanics of search, for the most part, like if you have a really good search team, you can actually master it. 
you can you can write to search you can figure out how to do you know link value and you can make it work social's harder for us you know i think just pragmatically a publisher needs to look at and listen we saw this happen you have to have diversified distribution sources and if you know for those uh, you know other companies that didn't perhaps you know upworthy and others like that um you know they got hit hard so i yeah i the and way i've seen that happen time you know that happened in search it's happened to those guys as you said that, that are all search yeah yeah i mean it's so do you, do you think there are companies out there that are relying too heavily on 100% i mean i'd like to have no more than 30% from a single channel okay. what would you say facebook constitutes now for I mean, it's going to be different. For Across our brands, yeah. it's 30 to 40%. Yeah. So it, that's too high for you? Well, I think... Is it that trending if, more? Or? Uh, no, it, it's been it's actually been pretty steady, but hmm. we've seen, you know, it's search, direct, email, syndicated, and uh, and social. And so each of those is a percentage. But I, I would say that, that uh, you know, we've seen our dependence of, on social go down. At the same time, there's a couple of other variables, guys, because increasingly our content's getting read off of our platforms, which is an entirely new dimension to it, like, like the Snapchat example. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned email there as well, which is, uh, I feel like... It endures. It, well, yeah, it's, it's sort of been overlooked for a few years, and now suddenly like people are talking about email again. Um, yeah, we have a newsletter. Sign up. Yeah. I love... Uh, thank you. Uh, I love email. You know that we did that Lena Dunham thing, partly because... That's I right. That oh, sure. Lenny, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, the email distribution strategy was so smart. And so, what you should check out what we did in terms of like kind of high-concept branded content. You should see what we just did with GE and Lenny where they underwrote some speculative science fiction written by a woman, and it was really, really cool stuff. And so I think that the, the frontiers of what's happening in branded content are getting more and more interested. You mentioned um, Lenny. We also wanted to ask you about – you kind of have a great front seat. We, we did a big story um, about Verizon and their, their digital media ambitions, and you, you all have that um, joint venture uh, with them to create the vice for the, the red states. Mm-hmm. Um, so that got that they got some Twitter buzz. Any 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 time you have Vice but for blank, uh, right. that's going to get some buzz. So <laughs> we were curious, you know, sort of the, about the state of that, and then just sort of more generally. I mean, you you guys you bought Complex along with Verizon, and um, what's your relationship like with them? And I mean, do you do you kind of foresee more um, opportunities for ventures with with that company? Uh, you know, I. I, that most of that is led by our enter, entertainment syndication uh, team, and uh, I think what it represents broadly is sort of continual innovation from Hearst around what will both the next generation of distribution look like. In the case of you know telecommunications companies, they will they be a you know a vital place for the distribution of content. So you want to understand that, and how will we see you know new media brands emerge for next generation on the back of that distribution? So I think from our investments in you know awesomeness TV and these experiments with Verizon, and uh, uh, and, and uh, the, the stuff you're doing with we're doing with uh, with Complex, you're uh, you're seeing you know the continual investment in sort of next generation you know media from from Hearst and I think that's that's what we need to do uh there's a gentleman named Niraj that I work with that has been you know pulling a lot on a lot of those investments and uh and uh I think like that like I said that's just part of this kind of evolutionary zeal of the corporation and I and I really like it so we haven't even really mentioned your uh prior life uh with with say media and mm-hmm. you know some some of uh 
things you've done before Hearst, but interested, you know, we were talking about this before, and so you, you were at the helm of, of Say Media, and that was sort of structured very similarly to a lot of the media companies now, so sort of structured similarly. I loved Say Media. Yeah. Sorry? I, Say Media was an amazing chapter in my career. I'm curious what, what lessons from that do you apply to sort of the media landscape now? Right. And when did you leave Say Media? Oh, I guess it would have been about five years ago. Now. About five yeah. years ago. I'll, I'll tell you what I learned. First of all, I learned at Say Media the importance of just kind of the ruthless pursuit of talent. Like, I, it was an incredible group of people, and we were really crazy about getting the right people there. Remember that Say Media. So really, just just give us a quick overview. Of, of I, I need. I'll, I'll start with it because it because it really deserved to, to. Like, I mean, it had a couple of different lines. Yeah, because it was an advertising company. Or at least well, that's it how was. I it was. It. it was founded by three three uh, graduates from Yale. And it was called Video Egg originally. And the Video Egg idea was pretty simple, is that video would change, you know, what people were consuming online and that we would build a company that offered other companies a way to embed video and run video. We'd provide the platform. We'd provide the content. We'd provide the monetization. And that seemed like an amazing idea, right, because video was complicated and hard and all the hosting stuff and pulling content down that was copyrighted and then building an ad model around it and all of that was really complicated for other companies companies to do and we'd provide that service and this was around the time that uh, that uh, YouTube was 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 being acquired by by Google um, the problem is is that there was so much bootleg content uploaded to video egg that we would have been sued into oblivion and it was really really hard to manage kind of user generated next to professional content and we were really really early in the evolution of, of video what I did at first because pre-roll wasn't an option and we had $600,000 a month bills as a startup from Akamai to deliver the content right this was early um, was I created an ad model which created a little thing at the bottom like of the, the video yeah the, the overlay at the over. bottom before anybody else did it and we said I said this is social video and it's going to be cost per engagement and that was the model we went to the market with and it really worked and we took it also then once we realized that we couldn't find enough video to run those on like there wasn't enough video distribution we started creating the same model on, on pages essentially so we had cost per engagement you know, rich media on, 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 you know, as display ads. And so the business grew to 60, 70 million really, really quickly. And it was really successful, but we were intensely ambitious and too much. So I think at the time we thought ad networks will die. We were essentially an ad network at the time. So it became a media company. And we needed to buy content companies. And so we did, we approached that with sort of Tons of zeal and enthusiasm and some naivety, I would say, because it's really hard to buy long-established media brands, right? And we so we bought small stuff like Remodelista right, Exo and Exo. We built I built Exojane, yeah. and we we bought. Uh, a uh, site called Read Write Web, which at the time was like a really interesting technology uh, uh, vertical brand, and and then we so we then we said okay we got to build a platform to unite all of these things because they're too hard to manage and we don't have common ad flow and all of that stuff. So you had a company, a little company, struggling to earn enough revenue, funded by venture, that had a media platform, a really ambitious ad network, an ad platform, and video and desktop. It sounds inventory. like Vox Media. It sounds like, like you're a little bit ahead of your. <laughs> Time, but what, what it was happened? earlier than Vox Media. Well, I think that it became 
it became really hard to get it over 100 million and to justify the continual intake of capital required to build and acquire properties to realize the vision um, was getting harder and harder. And that's really the story of Say Media, which was we had the right idea. We were super ambitious. It took tons and tons of capital. And at the time when I finished, I mean, when I finished there five years ago, I just thought, listen, I've been here for six years. You know, these are the, the, the most important sort of days of my career as a young person. And, um, you know, I'm, in a sense, I'm kind of hugely invested in this stock. Should I go find some other stock? And and so we developed a transition plan, and and, and I left. But I, I I'm incredibly proud of it, and the people that are there still, and that I work with, are the best I've worked so with. Do you think that life. model? I mean, for, for like a Vox Media or some of these other right. companies, what I do mean, you think of that model? You know what? I think it's hard, but I'll tell you, the world is moving that way. So I'll tell you, the one thing that Vox and Jim Bankoff has done, you know, extremely well is I think they've executed well, but I think that they've built really nice brands. And I think underneath of all of it, you got to do that. So, you know, from Vox to The Verge to Eater, you know, like they've got a really nice portfolio there. And then I also think so what's happening is those brands are becoming really valuable to cable cable companies. Uh, because what cable companies increasingly need are sort of niche plays. And they need the kind of over-the-top audience development that we do really well as digital companies. We know how to do social. We know how to do the internet hustle. And that ability to get attention around longer form programming is becoming really valuable, which is what you saw when NBC took a piece of, of, of Vox. So I think the digital publishing that we're doing, that we're doing, that Vox is doing, is really valuable ultimately to this kind of whatever this new media company looks like in the future that will, you know, be based in a brand and a point of view, but will, will, will encompass many media types. So... That's a, these are big, complicated ideas, guys, yeah. by the way, and yeah, it's yeah. really hard to decode them in, or, and to deconstruct them in 20 minutes. Yeah, of yeah. course. So just broadly, I mean, a lot of people have talked about the idea of sort of a, a bloodbath in, in media in 2016. Um, I think Shane Smith said that exact thing. Like Shane Smith is – maybe Shane to Smith, me maybe. he said that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you said when, that to you? Well, we interview, I interviewed him at uh, the Tower – and he said that, yeah. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah, I don't know if you joined um, us. That they was all right. Fun. So you were there. So he so well, he said it. Yeah, I was said there. it to you guys, and I, you guys have a relationship uh, with, with Vice, I guess. So through your through A and E, right. Hearst has a yeah. stake in, in Vice. But yeah. do you share that? Do you share that assessment of like the digital media landscape? Do you think this year is going to be, you know, some bloodbath, and you know, everyone's going to be kind of, I don't know, left in the wake of of some big uh, bust? <laughs> You know, I hate to give you simplistic answers, because, uh, but I do think 2017 is going to be super interesting, and I'll tell you why. I think because there's a lot of amazing brands out there, particularly in the print space, that will at first rationalize their costs in the face of a really changing business, and when when it gets too hard to pull out any more cost, people will look for other options. And so I think what you'll see is some amazing. You, you'll you'll see some you know uh, unlikely bedfellows. You'll see you know companies look for how they can find new ways to get together to to rationalize their cost structure to preserve the brand. So I think there'll be lots of new 
opportunities in 2017. I think we've already seen in 16, to Shane's point, a kind of clearing out of the middle of, you know, marginal digital publishers. We are seeing a kind of elite group evolve. Surprisingly, traditional media is being, you know, is is persisting. And I, I think that we're, we're seeing both, you know, Condé and Time Inc. and, and Hearst develop real strong digital brands. And uh, and I and I think that the, it's getting harder for the small guys. Yeah, bloodbath is another way. When you say small it. guys, do you mean like what kind of size publishers are you talking about? Like anybody that has less than twenty million in revenue. Twenty million. Yeah. I'm just curious because I mean we've we've sort of talked about like it's it's not a bad time to be like super niche. Maybe if you're kind of small, but have sort of a super niche focus Give as me a an publisher. Example. Or be, you know, a monstrosity, but right. that there's a sort of like medium-sized publisher that you know what I think it's getting really hard to be super niche. I'll tell you. Listen, someone came to me today, and this is a you know a, a reasonably sized brand, and against a single brand, the cost of managing platform ad ops, all the technology you need, plus an editorial and ad sales organization, doesn't really work very well when you have a business under twenty million dollars. But that's where you get, like, the mediums of the world who are sort of trying to solve that problem, right? Right. Like, from sort of hey, a small tech companies, standpoint. Come to us. Right. But the medium, the medium school, but it, you know, in some ways takes away your ability to, to you know, do some of the things that you need to do to monetize your audiences. So I think it gets, you know, you, you, you have to go all native to make that work, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys have a tech platform as well, right? I mean, is that something that you would consider sort of licensing on a similar basis well in some ways i do license it because you know lenny letter uses it to publish and uh but i'm only interested in licensing it if i'm not interested in a licensing play right, i'm interested in making my media offering stronger so if it's a great brand and i think that they have really you know good instincts around how to build that brand and build audience that's interesting to me all right, well, we have to end it there. Uh, Troy, it. thank you so much uh, for, for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming. All right, that's it for the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Catch us next time. Thanks. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.